This show was produced by and first broadcast on Radio Kidnappers, Hawke's Bay's community access radio station. Thanks to New Zealand On Air for enabling us to put Hawke's Bay voices on air. There's antimony, arsenic, aluminum, selenium, and hydrogen, and oxygen, and nitrogen, and rhenium, and nickel, neodymium, neptunium, germanium, and iron, americium, ruthenium, uranium, europium, zirconium, lutetium, vanadium, and lanthanum, and osmium, and astatine, and radium, and gold, protactinium, and indium, and gallium, and iodine, and thorium. You're listening to Radio Kidnappers, the voice of Hawke's Bay, and I'm Lynn Trafford presenting Hawke's Bay Scientists on Air on behalf of the Hawke's Bay branch of the Royal Society T.R. Parangi. This program is your opportunity to meet practicing and recently retired scientists from around the Bay. With me in the studio today is nutritionist and food commentator Fiona Windle. Fiona Windle is from Waitakere City and assures me that whilst at Waitakere College, English and geography were her favourite <laughs> subjects. That is, until she discovered human biology in her senior high school years. It is always interesting to interview a scientist who attended university as an adult student, as their take on the world has a maturity that differs from their fellow students. And thus it was with Fiona Windle, who began her formal studies at the age of 20, a BSc in Human Nutrition from Massey University in Albany. Let's meet Fiona Windle and hear how the girl from Waitakere City came to be Head of Nutrition with Beef and Lamb New Zealand Incorporated, based in Napier. Hello, Fiona. Hi, Lynn. Lovely to be here. It's lovely to have you with us as well. And I've already told everyone that you were born in Auckland. Whereabouts did you go to primary and intermediate school, please, Fiona? Uh, yes, yeah, so I grew up in um, in Waitakere. So I went to Waitakere Primary, which was a more rural school, um, which took me through to my intermediate years as well. So it was a, a jump from primary uh, into high school. Into high mm. school. And where did you go to high school? Uh, that was at Waitakere College uh, there in West Auckland. All right. Mm. Now tell me about this change in your study. Mm. What happened whilst you were at secondary school that made you discover human biology as something that maybe you could build your life upon? Mm. Well, it was probably actually a little bit of a hiccup uh, in my science and in fifth form in science, which I actually didn't do that well uh, at the time. And so I had to do a bit of a re-evaluation with the options within that the scientific uh, fields that were available at high school and it was human biology that really took my interest so I, I, I had a love for it and learning all about how the human body functions and from that it grew into my sixth form year and then once I did move on to uh, university it was that physiology which again was that bodily functions that really grabbed my attention. All right um, let's go back a mm, weeny bit mm. because when you left school you didn't go straight to university I've already mm. alluded to that mm-hmm. but you did something else that I think was quite fortuitous it gave mm. you a good foundation upon which to build both as a person mm. and with your knowledge what did you do? Mm. Yeah, so at uh, the age of 17, I applied to join the Royal New Zealand Air Force. Uh, And at the time, 
yeah, I, I wasn't quite sure what I wanted to do with my life, but I thought I'd give that a go. And I, I knew about it because both my parents had served uh, in the Air Force uh, before I was born. And so I joined at the, you know, the young age of 17 uh, as a medic. Uh, which uh, put me in at the base hospital in Fenuapai where I supported uh, the doctors and nurses there. And, and it was a wonderful experience. It was, it was a four-year service, uh, which sent me overseas uh, to third world countries uh, and supporting these nations, which made me realise I wanted to come back to New Zealand and, and give back to New Zealand and, and support the health of, of our nation here in New Zealand. It's an interesting thing to do, isn't it? Mm. And it never goes amiss. It is a building block and, in your case, a very, very good one. Most, oh, most yeah. opportune. Yeah, absolutely. I did a lot of growing up in that time. They throw a lot of responsibility yeah. at you and you, you quickly realise there's all these opportunities there for you and you need to, you need to grab them while you can. Yeah, mm. good on you, good on you. So mm. you come back to New Zealand at age 20. Mm-hmm. You go to Massey University. What are we studying there, please? Uh, so that uh, was a Bachelor of Science majoring in human nutrition. So that was uh, a three-year degree, which did give me a little bit of room uh, for some electives. So whilst I uh, based around the sciences um, with a human nutrition focus, there is room for me to have electives, which I uh, had some marketing papers in there and some psychology as well. And marketing was another area of interest where I saw there was huge opportunity to combine my nutrition knowledge, nutrition knowledge and applying that in a marketing sense. You yeah. enjoyed the degree? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And because I was a little bit older, I felt I was quite focused and uh, was really determined to do well. It's interesting, mm. isn't it? Because you would never have done that at age 17. No, no. At would the you? time, I didn't think I had it in me to, to do a degree. So I I needed those years just to mature a little bit and, and understand that I would had it in me to, to put myself forward to it. So when you got into your first lecture and you look around at all the <laughs> other students who are going to mm. be your fellows for the next mm-hmm. three years... Did, did you feel so much older than them because of the experiences that you had had? Um, I suppose a little bit. I didn't feel out of place, but no, I sort of felt good. like I, yeah, I perhaps was more focused and was really determined um, compared to my perhaps my younger counterparts who had come straight out of high school and weren't quite sure what they were going to do with their life. I think as an mm. adult student, you're ready to go, aren't you? You've oh, sorted yeah. it. Yeah. You know what you're doing and you just want to get on with it. Yeah, absolutely. All right. So we leave university at the end of 2002 and you get what must have seemed to you the ideal job. Yes. Must have seemed pretty whoop de doo I, I would think. Uh, yeah, I was... So where did you go and what did you do? Uh, yeah, it was a case of right place, right time. So I happened to have a chat to uh, someone who, at Beef and Lamb New Zealand who had come and talked to our class about their their role um, with the organisation. Mm-hmm. Um, I happened to have a chat with that person to express the, my interest in the organisation, not knowing that there was a role even open there at the time. And it was some weeks later uh, that I heard from them. Um, they had gone to my lecturer and asked which students they think might be a good fit for a role mm-hmm. that had come up to cover a maternity cover. And that opportunity landed on my lap. So, you know, the, the good grades that I'd, the hard work I'd put in had paid off because often 
employers do ask lecturers you which know, students are going to stand out. Yep. You never know. No. When, you, when you're doing, no matter what it is you're doing, you never know what door might open for you yep. depending on your attitude at that particular point in exactly. time. So you go there for maternity leave, to cover for maternity mm. leave, and you stay for 12 and a half years. <laughs> it was a long maternity leave, wasn't it, Fiona? All right, so you go there. What was your first role there? Uh, so my role initially was as a nutritionist uh, because I'd come just obviously come out of this nutrition degree, but also supporting the the marketing portfolio. So I was a nutritionist and marketing executive, uh, supporting both nutrition and, and marketing. And yeah, my job entailed anything from uh, analysing meat cuts from the nutritional composition point of view, but on the marketing side, I was. Uh, looking at their key performance indicators across the business uh, and ran a couple of competitions for farmers, which was looking for the best and most tender steak in the country. So let's talk about how one does that kind of a competition. But I I suppose before I do that, the focus of what your role was was Mm. domestic, wasn't it? We're not talking export here. We're Mm. talking excellence (laughs) domestically. Yes. Excellence domestically. That was the um, the key role of the organisation is domestic promotion. Domestic. So how does one judge whether a piece of meat (laughs) is better than the piece of meat that's sitting next to it. What are you looking for? Mm. So the competition, which attracted at its peak around 400 entries, the farmer would select their their animal, their best animal, and with my liaison with the meat plant, we would take a sirloin off, which would go off to uh, a lab. At the time, it was uh, either... Lincoln University or Carne Technologies who would look at the tenderness mm-hmm. so that would run that through uh, technology that would be calibrated to a human's bite to, to work out how tender that piece of meat was after some cooking in a, in a water bath and they're also looking at quality measures like pH uh, and marbling uh, to ensure those quality measures were up to speed and then based on tenderness that would then whittle it down to the most tender to go through to a tasting panel where we would have chefs would have a celebrity to to draw media attention and they would taste um though you know these steaks so it's quite comprehensive isn't it i mean that's Mm. a lot of testing Mm. before you even get to taste the product yep exactly isn't it yes does it did you knock things out along the way like if the ph isn't right if the tenderness mm. isn't right if the fat content isn't right do those ones go by the by and you're only left with ones you're going to taste or do you taste all of them regardless uh no we do we do whittle it down so say if there was a ph that was off through processing that wouldn't make it through so there was criteria to get it through to a final stage but it was based namely on tenderness so based on the uh the shear force, it was the lowest shear force were the most tender, so we would take the top, say, 20% within each category, and it was those that went through to a semi-final for tasting. All right. You're really looking to make certain that the product that we're putting on the supermarket shelves in New Zealand is a product of excellence. Absolutely. And this is what you're, you're measuring against. Yes. So is that ongoing still? I mean, you, you started doing this some, <laughs> some years ago now. Do we still do this with our meat? Yes. So there's uh, the Quality Mark program of which um, our organisation oversees, and that um, requires that all retailers are audited. So anyone that's um, selling beef and lamb are audited on a, 
on a range of measures. So that's pH, food safety, tenderness measures. Because of those competitions and changes in, in procedures, the tenderness measures are all at a level, if not better than they were, say, 20 years ago. So the tenderness levels aren't being checked as regularly because they've all sort of reached the best Okay, case. they know what they're doing now. Yeah, they know what they're doing now. I remember the advertising billboards, really mm-hmm. big billboards all around New Zealand at this time. We're talking mm-hmm. uh, the early 2000s mm-hmm. to mid 2000s to 2010, that kind mm-hmm. of a period. And we had famous sports people up there. And I remember keeping in mind we're Hawke's Bay here at mm-hmm. the moment, the Evers Swindell girls, they were on those beef and lamb yes, boards, that's right. weren't they? And then we added in Sarah Alma when she became a winner for her cycling. So we had three gorgeous girls up there for everyone to have a look at mm-hmm. advertising our beef and lamb mm-hmm. products at that time. Tell me about that kind of marketing. Mm. Did it work or were we just looking at three winners on a billboard? Yeah, no, there was definitely a lot of thought that went into our association with those Olympians or, you know, elite athletes. Uh, at the time, my uh, our CEO, Rod Slater, uh, is a very keen sportsman and could see winners before they before they received a gold medal he could foresee that and so there's actually a history prior to those girls that we had an association with sports women now the reason we choose women is because if we think about traditionally the household shopper and I'm not talking about now because that's changed but typically the household shopper was a female of a household and so it was influencing not only them but also young females in New Zealand where we know there is an issue uh, with them having some deficiencies particularly around iron and so by using role models like the Everswindale twins, Sarah Ulmer and more recently Sophie Pascoe, Sarah Walker, Lisa Carrington it was really trying to showcase uh, how great our product was and how good it could make you feel and potentially perform. So it was, it was a deliberate choice to choose females based on that. And obviously these women are rock stars in their own right. They and are, and what better they? people yep. to, to align ourselves with. Yep, mm. and really nice women as well. Yep. Yep, yeah, down to talk earth. beautifully on the television when they're interviewed and mm-hmm. very personable when you meet them in person. Yes. Just really super icons for New Zealand sport. You, you did well with all those girls. I, I think they were wonderful. There comes a time when you need a change of tack, so to speak. And on the side, you're, you're doing some private work with communications and marketing on the side there. But you come down to Hawke's Bay to live. So we're talking right at the beginning of 2017, you become a Hawke's Bay girl. Mm-hmm. You're coming also to work with beef and lamb in the bay here. But sitting alongside of it, I want to just touch on what is sitting as alongside of beef and lamb for you, because you had Hawke's Bay, Poverty Bay, branch of the New Zealand Institute of Food Science and Technology that mm-hmm. you were involved with, mm-hmm. and also the International Meat Secretariat Committee on Human Nutrition and Health. You were aligned with those two organisations whilst working. Tell me just briefly about those two organisations and why it's important for us to participate. Mm, Sure. So when I moved to Hawke's Bay, I felt I needed to build up my network and and connect with other like-minded people who worked in the food industry. So 
I joined the branch of uh, the New Zealand Institute of Food Science and Technology to connect with with others, and um, by doing that, um, I've helped you know run networking events and visits to various uh, food manufacturers around Hawke's Bay, uh, and it's been a great uh, a great introduction for me to to meet people here in the area on the international front um the international meat secretariat uh are people like myself working across the world uh working in the meat industry with a nutrition background and so that network is absolutely valuable so that we can have a common united voice about the role of red meat in, in healthy diets uh and keeping in mind that sort of in that pre-competitive space because globally our meat does compete with other countries, but when it comes to nutrition, we can all have a united front in looking at the evidence that supports red meat and diet. You've also got to work with the scientists and with mm. the farmers, don't you? So mm-hmm. in that kind of a role, you plus all the other fayomas mm-hmm. out yeah. there that are doing similar sorts of things, you're all aiming for a good, solid, nutritional product mm-hmm. from your local areas. Mm-hmm. I presume that's what you're doing. Absolutely. It's about having, well, a united front, really. So if we think about, you know, we're, we're overloaded with information at the moment and, and the general public or, or the consumer can get quite confused about what, what foods are healthy or not. Uh, and red meat's taken a bit of a, you know, a bit of a focus around people questioning whether it's good for you. And so through these connections and these both international and local networks, uh, we're ensuring that we're all singing off the same hymn sheet. And so, that's important, yeah, isn't exactly. it? A mixed message, whether it comes on your telephone and whether mm. it comes across the screen or whether it's in the newspaper, the mixed message is where mm. we all get into trouble, really. Yep. Let's come back now and see how these two organisations fit into the goals of beef and lamb mm-hmm. across New Zealand because we're still looking internally mm-hmm. for our marketing, even mm-hmm. though these roles are... Mm-hmm. have an external focus mm-hmm. to a degree, what you are taking from those roles is going to be used internally mm-hmm. in New Zealand here. You alluded to the fact that as consumers, we put a question mark over red meat. Are we wrong to do that? Well, as I say, there are a lot of factors surrounding people's everyday decisions. And I think in terms of people questioning red meat's role it's not just about nutrition anymore so if we think about how sustainability has become more of at the forefront of people's minds and climate change uh, and various other agendas sort of pushing for plant-based eating it has given people more reasons to sort of put that question mark over and and I and I understand that there is a lot of of different headwinds for our industry that we are having to consider uh, that gives people not only one reason to perhaps sit on the fence about their red meat eating, but there's numerous um, reasons. And often people will draw on, you know, the negative because they see a negative um, negative headline. And often when you don't know a lot about something, you might sort of default to something perhaps negative is, you've heard. Is some of this age-related? Are young people more likely to steer clear of red meat than older people or middle-aged people? Uh, is there an age door in mm. this analysis, Fiona? Yeah, well, certainly we do our consumer insights across New Zealand from the age of 18 and upwards, and we, we do see differences in, in perceptions. I guess a big one that we notice with older our older demographic is their concern around price of meat, so in, in, in all food, to be honest. Um, so they've noticed the change of, of prices of food, so they might be more likely to 
uh, be concerned around that price. Younger people, they they often reply with they enjoy the experience. So they're all about the experience when you eat food and the and taste, the taste, and the everything that comes around. Conviviality, going yep. out for dinner with lots of friends. Yep, barbecues. Um, yes, and reliance on meal kits. Um, so that's okay. that's shot through the roof, particularly uh-huh. with the young, younger it demographic. Has, is this yes. convenience that you can order your week's uh, ingredients based on meal kit, um, the meal kit uh, growth. So, yeah, there are differences. I mean, across the board, we're still seeing about 9 in 10 households are still consuming red meat, but it's those quantities and frequency that may have come down. Uh, And there's certainly awareness across all age groups around where does it fit and how relevant is it for me and my in my dietary regime. I want to ask you about the negative publicity that there is in New Zealand, and I'm sure it's not just in New Zealand, but we seem to be very good at negative publicity in New Zealand at times, about the role of farmers and farm animals as regards our concerns about climate change. Older people maybe have a different view on this than younger ones. I'm, I'm not certain. But does your research look at that concern as well? So it's got mm. nothing to do with taste and mm. all that sort of thing. Everything to do with climate change per se. Yes, most certainly. We, we ask New Zealanders their various views and perceptions on our farm practices. We break that right down into the various factors, whether that's uh, water quality, land use, emissions. And then we can also get a steer on where our reputation sits against other primary sectors as well. So we certainly have a good handle on where people's concerns are and then we can respond accordingly in terms of how we inform people without overwhelming them with information because there's a lot of good stuff happening, but it's ensuring that what we're sharing aligns with their values and their concerns. What about social media? It has an influence on a lot of younger people, I suppose, but it's not just younger people these days, but they have a great belief and reliance upon social media. Are there days when you wish you could dick everyone's phones? (laughs) Um, Yes, certainly social media has has kept us more connected than ever. Uh, Millennials would be, you know, described as the most globally connected uh, demographic of our of our time. I mean, social media has its pros and cons. We certainly are strong on on communicating through social media and our digital ecosystem to ensure that we are sharing, you know, positive stories uh, and all those attributes that come with red meat. But yeah, it is a crowded market, and it people is, are are scrolling through and not even really reading content. You've got to think about what is that headline that's going to grab their attention and yeah. stop and actually read further. Yeah. And making them read. How do you tell, how do you get across a good news story today? Other mm-hmm. than on Radio Kidnappers, mm-hmm. how do you get across a good news story? Uh, good question. I think it's about, well, for us, humanising our industry. So bringing the stories of the people that are working in the industry from the ground up. So whether it's a producer, whether it's someone working further up the supply chain and really sharing those experiences about what it's like working in our sector and I think if people can get you know humans connect to other humans and so I think it's telling those real human stories about what the industry is actually like to work in and be be open and transparent that it can be tough.
It can be tough. Do you put any sort of influence in the marketing and Mm. in those good news stories on the actual animal? It seems to be the poor old animal that is getting it in the neck at the moment as regards climate change. What do you do about our gorgeous dairy cows, about our beef herds, about our lovely sheep? How do we get the story across that our animals are actually good animals? Yeah, I think it probably comes down to that grass-fed story. So looking at how New Zealand does farm, particularly with beef and sheep, we can talk about um, how they're raised on pasture, how they're cared for, how those farmers are the gatekeepers of of the information and uh, are caring those caretakers of the land. If we can talk about that whole production system holistically and, and how those animals are cared for, uh, and it's about connecting people to how, where their food comes from as well, which I think has been lost along the way somewhat. It has, and we do it well in New Zealand, I think. Thank you, Fiona Windle, Head of Nutrition with Beef and Lamb New Zealand. Thank you for being my guest on Hawke's Bay Scientists on Air. Beef and Lamb is an iconic institution in New Zealand, and as expected, there is much about it online. Google it and spend time on the website reading articles on the many facets of its activities. There is much available. Similarly, to find out more about the role of the Royal Society, Tiaparangi, in New Zealand or the monthly lecture program available via the Hawke's Bay branch, hit Google. Please join me every Monday morning at 9.30 to meet another practising or recently retired scientist from around the Bay. I'm Lynn Trafford. This show was produced by and first broadcast on Radio Kidnappers, Hawke's Bay's community access radio station. Thanks to New Zealand On Air for enabling us to put Hawke's Bay voices on air.